Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I always like to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know. Heck, why not even some people you don't know? Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page, where you can also like us, share us, and, you know, comment on it. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get this show started. My guest today is a long-term RAIN member. She's an entrepreneur and a real estate investor, Tahani Abirane. For Tahani... Her life began with believing that education is the best way out of poverty. And Tahani truly knew poverty. She was born into a large family in a refugee camp in the Middle East. And because of an arranged marriage at 15 years old, she moved to Canada. Now, 22 years later, she's learned hustle and hard work. And now as a single mom raising two kids, has found herself building a business to not only survive, but certainly to thrive. Today, as she reflects, she can share that aside from having traveled the world, she is one of Canada's top experts on real estate investing. She's the founder of five companies, which each produce more than six to eight figure revenues. She's a published and best-selling author. And more than ever, Tahani is inspired and driven to empower, inspire others globally by sharing her story of transformation from major stages and at events, including TEDx. She is a trainer and a coach to professional realtors, investors, and entrepreneurs. And today, she's a guest right here on The Everyday Millionaire. Welcome. Tahani Abrane, welcome to The Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for having me on. I'm so honored and thrilled to be here with you and everyone else. Yeah, I'm excited. Now, I'm going to be pressed a little bit to even know where to start with you because there's so much to talk about. I mean, you are a going concern. So now, first off, tomorrow you have a TEDx talk. 
TEDx talk. Yes. So I'm going to be doing a TEDx talk in Toronto. Yes. That's very, very cool. Now, what are you talking about, by the way? Can you give us a little resilience? The whole theme of the talk is going to be resilience. So there will be a lot of speakers and they're all talking about resilience. And for me, I'll be sharing my story and how I overcame adversity and the gift that adversity has given, you know, to me and my life and resilience. We're going to get to all of that because <laughs> if there's somebody that has a very high adversity quotient, an AQ, that's uh, kind of out of, off the charts, that would be you. So we're going to get to that. I want to definitely talk about that. And you've got an amazing story. Now we've known each other for what, about a dozen years, I think. I met you yeah. at a Acre event. I think we probably called it Quick Start back then uh, yes. in Toronto, where you attended and started learning about real estate. Yes, yes, exactly. I remember that. Yes. Now we zoom ahead this many years later. There's Tahani International. There's FIRE, which is Females Investing in Real Estate. Is that correct? Females in Real Estate, oh, correct. Females in Real Estate. What else have you got? I mean, there, that's only a couple things of probably yes. a half a dozen. What else you got going on? I've got um, Urban Living Realty, which is a brokerage that focuses on helping real estate investors in the region of Waterloo. Tahani Developments, Inc., which is uh, develops and builds houses. And then I've got um, my investment company, of course. So, oh, yes. Of course you do. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. of course. Yeah, now... yeah, but of course, because you can't be <laughs> teaching about things and not doing what you're preaching, right? <laughs> you have to be doing that. Yes. Now, Tahani, where, before we met back in, like you say, a dozen years ago, so whatever that would make it, a 2006-ish, 2005, 2006, were you into real estate before then or were you just starting to really get started back then? No, I was in real estate. I got into real estate um, 1995. Um, yeah, early 95. And uh, actually, was it? Yeah. Nine, no, sorry. It was before that. Excuse me. 2000 and... Oh, gosh. I can't remember. But it was before. Now I can't recall. It will be... Uh, coming up March, it would be 25 years for me being in this business. I started as a realtor and I remember very, very vividly how I got actually into real estate investing because it intrigued me. I was selling houses for a builder and, um, and then there were a lot of real estate investors would come that want to buy a house. And I didn't know anything about real estate investing. And then I start searching and searching about real estate investing. Then I found actually a couple of realtors in my area. And I asked them if they would help me or give me an idea at least of how I can serve real estate investors. And to my astonishment, they said no. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, why would they not help? You know, I, I swore at that moment that I would go out, learn everything I could about real estate investing, and then forward it or gift it forward to everyone that wants to learn about real estate investing. And that's when I went on a search. I found Rain. I remember going to Rain the first time, and I was so intimidated because here I am as a realtor thinking that I should know more than these real estate investors, but I did not. Um, but I was like a little girl. I was so curious. I wanted to learn everything. I actually didn't even tell anybody that I was a real estate agent for a while until I got you know a little bit more comfortable with things and 
and I'm so thankful for everything that happened and for Rain and for what it taught me and for all the knowledge I've acquired and, and the people that I've made friends with. And I feel, I truly feel I have a Rain family. That's how it is for me. There were certainly a lot of relationships that, you know, you developed and others developed with you. I mean, it's, it's a two way, right? So you brought so much to the table. Now, as I said, it's hard to say where to start with you, given what you've got going on. Tell me a little bit about Tahani International. What is Tahani International all about? Tahani International started because a lot of people would ask me about real estate questions, related questions. And, and I was not into coaching early on. I was just only into the real estate, buying, selling, finding investments, and so on and so forth. So Tahani International started as a place where other investors, even the ones that I'm not working with, can go on and ask questions and, and I get to help them and answer their questions. Now, what's intriguing about all of what you've done and what you've accomplished is it it's really stems from where you started. And when we go way back to talk about the Tahani story, which is a great, great inspirational type story. And that's what I, I guess we can start there. Let's start from the beginning because you came to Canada when you were a young lady, young girl. 15 years old. 15 years old. And you are, is it, are you Jordanian? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I was born in Jordan. Correct. Palestinian, Jordanian. Yes. So Take us back. You're a young girl growing up. I think you you get married quite young. You end up being married very young. And kind of tell me, give me a little bit of background. First off, yes. tell me about your parents. Tell me about where you were living. Now, this is so important, I think, for listeners to understand that we're not our stories. Our stories are just part of our life, but we can't, we don't live our story. You don't live your past. It's actually what is inspired you to move forward in a really powerful way. It, it actually is what got you to where you are today. And that's what's really cool about how Tahani shares the story. So, But I want to go back even a little bit further than most people have probably or maybe have even read about you. Tell me about your parents. So my parents, I've had such the most amazing, amazing relationship with my dad. My dad and I, um, like... A father-daughter, but we had like a really close bond. I can't remember when I was there or when I was younger, I couldn't remember my mom because my mom was always busy raising my kids. I have six brothers and two other sisters. So there is nine of us. And um, even when I came to Canada, my dad would write me every single day, you know, would write me letters. And I still have all of those letters that my dad wrote for me for years wow. until he passed away. So there is a special bond for um, between me and my dad. And all of my life, I thought I was more like my dad until, you know, I dug deep into my past and who I am and why I, I am here and, and all and all of that spiritual journey to realize that I'm actually more like my mom. <laughs> it's funny, you know, we, we always think we're one thing, but really we take a lot from the other person that we um from we take from both of our parents, but maybe more so we're like one than the other, if that makes sense. Sure. So, yes, we were very, uh, I was born in a refugee camp. 
very, very humble beginning. Uh, my first thought was, you know, being in a war and my brother was sitting right next to me um, and we were allowed to get out of the bun the bunkers, you know, because we were on top of each other like sardines after the war stopped. I would get out and um, as I sit outside, just soak in the sun's warmth because it was just, you know, we were in the bunker for so long. Um, all of a sudden, I look down at my brother and... Um, and I see him full of blood and I realized that he actually was shot in the shoulder. So my first memories is that, you know, being in a war, um, very, very humble beginning, there's nothing. And I remember even that evening, Patrick, we went home and as I laid in bed, I, um, I was like hearing the raindrops the the pots in the pants all around my room you know collecting rain from because we had a leaky roof so we didn't have much but i never felt um unlucky or i didn't have much in fact i felt i had everything i wanted which is my parents love and support and my brothers and my sister and yeah so it's not about what you've got really it's about how you feel on the inside and i've always felt very supportive very lucky because you know we had food some other families in the camp did not have you know dinner sometimes and very very um very humble beginning, but very grateful for what we got. How, how old were you at that time, Tahani? How young were when you? When that happened, um, I was probably about maybe five years, maybe six years for the war. And then um, I stayed in the camp until I was 15 years old. And that's when, yeah, my parents uh, arranged for my marriage. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the fact that in spite of all of that you were facing, you didn't feel necessarily that much was missing because you had your parents. You had the love of your mom and your dad and you had your family close by and, and that was enough. And it's, it's always a cool perspective because I've heard similar stories before, you know, from people much older that had talked about what it was like in Nazi Germany back during the war and how they were hiding out and they were with their family. And as kids, it was like, a little bit of fun because at the end of the day, they were with the parents all day. Like yes. how bad is that? Right. When you're six or five or eight years old. So, uh, that's an interesting point that, you know, I think there's such a lesson, a valuable lesson in all of that around perspective of what we need to be happy or what we think will make us happy. And I, I'm going to add to that, Patrick, is that people have to always remember what I found here is that there are so many people concentrate on what's missing in their life rather than what they've got in their life. So when you concentrate and focus on what's missing, of course, you're going to feel like, oh, I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have that. But if you could concentrate and, and change perspective and, and think of all the amazing things that we have, because no matter how bad we have it here in North America, someone else has it way worse. So just Always, always remember that, you know, we're still lucky. We've got a lot going on for us. Now, at 15, you had an arranged marriage. Now, I'm not familiar with that. I guess that is a cultural thing. Yes. And, and so what was that for you? I mean, it's in reflection at the time. What, what were you feeling at the time? Was that just an accepted 
thing or were you pushing back on it or were you unhappy about it? What did it mean to you well, at 15 years old? Yeah, I was coming home from just, it was an average day, you know, I, I, I was at school, grade nine, coming home to realize that there was a party at my house. And then as I walk in to realize that it was actually, you know, the party was actually for me, you know, and my, it was my wedding. So my parents arranged for me to marry a man that I never spoke to. Um, and without my knowledge, that was hard because I remember running to my dad and begging him and asking him to call off the marriage because I believed in education and not only my parents said that education equals um, freedom, but also my teachers always saw that, you know what, Tahani, you got to finish school. You got to go to university. Education equals freedom and so on and so forth, because that's what we've got as a, you know, for us going in that refugee camp. So I believed in that so much that I was crying and crying for my dad. Please, dad, don't let me go. I don't want to leave you and, and leave my mom and, and my brothers and everything that I've known really up until that point. But my dad said, just believe, Tahani, this is all happening for you. This is all for you. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, this is where you can go to Canada and uh, get to go to school. So I had only one thing on my mind uh, as I left my parents going to the airport and uh, to come to Canada. And that is, I've got to finish my you know, university education, education, education. So for me, that was my goal. I got to make it better for me because if I do, then I'd be able to make it better for my family in the refugee camp. So you came to Canada, you're 15-ish years old. Uh, you're now married. Did you, you got married before you came to Canada? Oh, no. Actually, I, the reason why I came to Canada is because my ex-husband lived in Canada. So that's why. So it was like, oh, you got married. And then uh, six months later, I was... Now, like imagine for a 15 year old just got married the responsibility of her husband you know house be a different country diff new language um and at the time it was a dictionary where i would take word by word there was no google nothing so it was a lot for a 15 year for an adult let alone a 15 year old girl so you came to canada you see all the cultural changes and all the things that are going on how long did your marriage last because i mean you've got children and and you are here today. So how long did your marriage last at that time? 22 years. Wow, good. That's cool. 22 years. I mean, yeah, it's a long time. I mean, I tried and I tried, of course, um, not to give up. But I knew from the first moment that he was not the right man for me. But I, I just listened to my dad and I went with um, my, I, I thought my dad knew better. And that's how it is. I mean, I was 15. Of course, my dad knew better. And he did actually, because I'm very, very grateful for that event. Looking back now at my life, thank God that he did what he did, because here I am here. I'm able to do everything I am able to do. So your, your big why, you know, if we talk about the reason that you were able to get through this adversity, you were able to face the challenges that you faced and keep moving on for 22 years with your husband at that time and you were raising children. And I mean, that had to be a big part of why you were able to face it. Your children were, I'm sure at, you know, utmost at the top of your mind and making sure that they had a great home and a, and a, a you know, a roof over their head and the education and all the things that they need to have healthy lives. What else was behind that? What was driving you at that time? Were you, and you know, we talk about happy, you're in a, at the time, you're in a refugee camp and you're feeling happy because you're with your parents, your family. 
in that time when you came over from Canada with a arranged marriage and you were in that relationship and you were raising children, were you still able to kind of feel the same sense of joy that you were back even back in the days when you were in a refugee camp? I can't say I was happy, um, you know, even being married and with all the changes in my life when I came through, but I was, I, I just trusted. And sometimes we just have to trust that that is what's happening in our life and just deal with it. You know, like I just trusted that this is going to be great. And somehow I have to kind of work every day towards um, my education at the time. So my first why was I get to finish school because I get to help my brothers in the refugee camp and my parents. And then after, which by the way, I did, I brought my whole family to Canada. That was really good. And I finished school and I graduated. Second thing, when my kids came into this world, of course, that was another big, huge why. I was actually willing to stay in that marriage, you know, being unhappy and just, you know, thinking that that's okay. You know what? This is what it is. But when my kids in, came into the world, I realized that we do way more for the ones that we love than we do for ourselves. Well, that's the case in my, you know, in my experience. I mean, I could not be the role model for my kids. You know how, like I never wanted my kids to feel stuck in any situation, being unhappy or in a healthy, unhealthy situation or unhealthy relationship. I want them to know that there is a choice. And at the time I wanted them to know that leaving is a choice, but also staying is another choice. So even if I would have stayed unhappy, that's a choice that my kids are actually seeing and watching me go through. So that's when I said, you know, enough is enough. I got to go out. And I was scared. It was very, very scary to go on my own. I mean, as a, as a young girl, it was instilled in me. I had limiting beliefs and the beliefs that every woman needs a man to provide for her and her kids. And here I am, wanted to leave this unhappy situation, but I didn't know if I was capable of providing for myself. I didn't know if I was capable even of paying $1,000 for rent, let alone own a house or anything like that. So it was a huge fear, but I knew that my love for my kids and what I want them to grow as adults is that I have to go out and face my fear and do whatever I can to make it. There was a lot, I believe, um, I'm going back in a little bit of my memory banks to Hani, but I think there was a lot going on at that time as well, because once again, culturally, you had your family that was judging, assessing, going, what are you doing? You can't leave the marriage. You, you know, so there was a lot of pressure, a lot of peer pressure on you and and direct and indirect to stay in the relationship and to keep it moving forward and you really had to jump off the cliff you went i can't take this my kids are my top priority and this isn't working anymore so you're out facing the world now what how did you start to make ends meet so quickly well, even when I got into the real estate um, business, the, the people around me did not support me and did not believe in what I was doing. I mean, after all, um, real estate is a man's job. That's how they looked at it. And how could a woman be able to help these other men make such a huge decision? One of the biggest, really, buying you know a home or selling a home, right? I remember they would go around you know town and draw a mustache on my real estate signs, you know, saying that I'm actually like a man, you know. Um, and they said very very hurtful things. 
But really that fueled a fire within me, Patrick. That made me feel like, you know what? I'm going to prove them wrong, which is, it was wrong to think that way at the time, but that's how I felt that, you know what? I can still make it. Uh, this is not really... Um, it's not what I've always, like I said, the limiting belief that I've always felt that a woman can actually make it on my own, uh, on her own. But what I didn't realize is the heights I've reached, you know, just making it on my own. So I just went to help people and, and asking for business. That's one thing that a lot of people don't even do. And that is ask for business. So as soon as I left the marriage, I, I, I became so focused. I'm like, I have to make it. I have to provide for my kids. Now I have a, a mortgage. And I started asking and, and door knocking and calling people. And then I, I heard no, no, no. And then finally the yes started coming but asking for what you want and tie it into why you want that and that's what differentiated me between you know between all these other realtors so it wasn't just only do you want to buy or sell through me but look I just went through a divorce I've got two kids I need to provide for them I don't have all the answers for you when I'm talking to sellers or buyers but I sure you can rest assured that I'm going to do everything in my power to get you the best price or to sell it the fastest or whatever it is where people truly connected with me and say, Oh my God, this lady, and we want to help. People are very helpful. So they wanted to help me because they saw as helping, you know, me raising my kids. But at the same time, I was willing to help so much to do whatever I could for these people. And that's when I became so focused and and just, you know, um, working, working, working. And my hard work really paid off. It sure has. What do you think, Tahani, when you go back to that time? I'm curious as to why real estate or why being a realtor versus going to get a job? What, where, Very good question. Where, where Very was good that question. decision made? Where was that decision made? I think that, um, I, I, I don't know if you believe in this, but I believe there are some people that are natural entrepreneurs. And I believe that I was born a natural entrepreneur because even in the free in the refugee camp, even at the age of like nine, 10, 11, and 12, I would be thinking of, you know, ideas that I would like games and I would teach them to my brothers and my brothers would go out and then they would, you know, make money and then we would split it in half or I would be baking cookies and baking sweets and I would give to my brother sell because I could not go out and sell. And then again, when they bring it back, we would take the cost and then we would split the profit and share it. So I believe I was a natural entrepreneur. And when my brother, one of my brothers came to Canada, he wanted to open like a toy place in a flea market. And I'm like, why a flea market? Why not, you know, have your own store? And he's like, but I don't know how to do this. I'm like, let me help you. And I went on to help him and we opened um, the first, actually, dollar store in Cambridge, Ontario. That wow. was really in the 90s. It was really a yeah, big deal. But across the road, there was um, uh, an office, a real estate office. And the broker of record, the, the broker manager would come to buy gum, tea, water, you know, stuff like that. And he would see me interact with people and he would look at me and watch and watch. And then finally he would say, Tahani, you got to get into real estate business. Tahani, you've got to try the real estate business. And that's who really inspired me to get into the real estate business. So I'm forever grateful for this man. Now, 
Were your parents entrepreneurial by any chance? Was your dad an entrepreneur? No, no, no. no. Both of them were not, not even my brothers, even until now, I actually, I helped all of my brothers start their businesses. (laughs) So it's like, yeah. Well, it's a nature versus nurture conversation. I'm in the, the many everyday millionaires that I interview, some, but not all, certainly come from an entrepreneurial background, but it's not a given and it's not always the case. So when you're learning and you're going through the education and you're dealing and, and learning how to deal with the adversity, uh, what kind of, I don't know, mindset, are you, are you aware of the mindset that you're developing or is it something that once again, just became what you did? Were you studying it? Were you paying attention to it? Were you, you know, did you have mantras that you were quoting to yourself every day? What was your journey of professional and self-development? Very good question. Very, very amazing question, um, Patrick. And honestly, no, it's not like I did. I did not study it. I did not um, see others do it. All I remember is uh, at one point I saw Tony Robbins on TV and I actually uh, saved enough money to buy his cassettes and to listen to them. And, you know, the cassettes a long time ago, and sure. it seems like we're ancient, Patrick. But, and as I was listening to it, I know even my ex-husband would make fun of me. A lot of the people around me would make fun of me. But for some reason, it really inspired me even to do more. And, and I, started seeing, I started seeing that I thought differently than the people around me. I always believed, I always had hope that things would be better. That's the thing. And I also did, I'm a doer. Someone said, Tahani, you're not a strategic person. Well, I could argue that maybe I did not have like a long-term plan, but I sure did take action and taking action in the middle of confusion or not knowing what to do is probably the best thing because you get, when you take action, there's two things that's going to happen. You either like what you do and you continue that path because the universe is showing you signs that you're on the right path, or maybe it's not the right path. And you just say, well, at least I've tried it and now I can choose something else. And that's what I've done is that I just went and I took action and, and I got the answers from that. So, uh, at the beginning, I felt like a lone wolf. I felt lonely. I felt scared. I felt I wasn't capable of doing things, but I just kept t- taking action And then after that, I start surrounding myself with the best in the business. Even in the real estate business, my business starts skyrocketing as soon as I start hanging out with the right people or the best in the real estate business in this area. So environment is very important. And uh, yeah, and I just kept on going and and growing and growing. Now, I want to go back to just, you know, something that showed up for me in this conversation. You know, they talk about, Whoever was talking to you and saying, well, Tani, you're not very strategic, but you're an action taker. You know, you yourself are an action taker. A recent conversation interview I did with Jean-Guy Francoeur, who is our chief growth officer and one of my partners in business, he's an action taker. You know, we, we joke that he's the guy that jumps out of the airplane without the parachute and just builds the parachute on the way down. In other words, he looks at where he needs to go. He makes a decision and goes, and that's it. He doesn't second guess it. He doesn't try and build a, you know, a a baby grand piano when a player piano will do. He just jumps and goes. And then each decision or each action he takes leads to the next action, the next decision. Are you built that way? Or do you think you're more methodical in your thought processes? Or do you just take action? Go, I don't know what it's going to, if it's right or wrong, I'm just going to do it. 
I definitely, no, it's not that I don't think about it, but I remember all these realtors around me would spend hours, if not even days and days, perfecting their listing presentation and having slides and having this and having that. And I'm like, at the end of the day, what does a person want? What does a seller or a buyer want? They either want a house to buy a house or sell a house. So you go out there and you kind of speak from your heart and then tell them what you will and what you will promise to do. And all of these presentations are not going to get somebody just, oh, because you have a nice presentation. So I looked at results and I started focusing on like, what can I do to get the results for this one person or for this seller, for this buyer, for this investor. And I focused on that and I went out and I spoke about that. And that's what it actually differentiated me from these other people. So even though I'm an action taker, but I always have in mind, what does the other person want? And then if you can give it to them, then all of a sudden it's a win-win situation, right? I um, just finished, uh, we just released a podcast with uh, Stephanie, by the way, her and I had sat down and did an interview and you know, Stephanie, my wife, and one of the things that she, I love her, she made a, you know, she had in that, within that, she had put a quote that true high performers are incredibly authentic. And, you know, you really truly are that individual that just lives from your heart. You just, it just drives you. And you're probably one of the, in terms of authenticity, I mean, you put your heart on your sleeve and you wave it around and that's just really how you're built. And I think that's what also spoke to your clients and looking after them because it truly was about them, not about you. Yes. Yes, of course. Now, as you surrounded yourself with other high-performing realtors, for example, or people in the business of real estate, how did you get past your intimidation? Because we hear that all the time. If you want to do great things, surround yourself with people who are just better at than anything, you know, better at anything than you are. So whatever that might be, it could be golf or, a, or playing another sport, or in this case, real estate. When you surround yourself with high performers, you have to elevate. They don't go backwards. It forces you to up your game. Now you're scared. You're female. You're got all the stories you've got of how you got there. Were you at, at times where you feeling really intimidated? How did you get past that? Because I think it just speaks to some of the listeners being able to look at what they may be facing right now in terms of fear and intim- intimidation, getting it wrong, doing it wrong. How did you get past all that? I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty epic move to have accomplished what you have. And how did you get there? So it's, I think maybe part of it is my upbringing. This is really um, interesting because uh, as I grew, as a, you know, being born again in the Middle East, uh, usually like ladies are um, in a different room than the men. And, and I have this intriguing, that's like, I want to know what men think like, and, and what, you know, they, what's their thought process and all of that. And it was genuine. So when I went to meetings and I was in the middle, in the middle of a room that's full of men, I saw myself, first of all, as different. I mean, even when I came to Canada, I've always felt I was different. So that was okay. But I was really intrigued by, you know, these men. And I went to approach them as I would approach my brother, you know, one of my brothers, because I had a lot of them. And I would 
sincerely want to know what they thought or what they think or, and more so at the beginning at a personal level, because everybody wants to talk to people about their business. For me, it was more intriguing as a human being, as a personal level. I mean, that's how our relationship sort of also started. Like, you know, I sincerely wanted to know Patrick as a human being, not necessarily um, just as a business, you know, person. And that where the bond was created. Um, and, and I saw it's, it's really, it's just, I think it's a perspective, you know, you could walk into the room and say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm the only woman in the room and it's full of men, or I'm the only woman in the car because we used to go see houses in cars. Uh, it used to be like, you know, one day a week where we would go view houses, just realtors. And I would be in the car always full of men thinking, oh my gosh, I love, you know, being in a car with all of these men because my perspective, instead of like being intimidated, it's like, gosh, this is so cool. This is so good. So it's always about changing the perspective. So if you're scared and feeling like intimidated, then how does it feel to just only switch it to like, wow, this is amazing. And I'm different, I'm unique, and, 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 and sincerely not to concentrate on yourself, really, because that's not the whole goal. The whole goal is to concentrate on the people that you're surrounding yourself with and, and, then, and then be genuinely asking them questions and getting to, do, to know them genuinely, not just because they have their number one realtor or they're, you know, they've got this amazing business and so on and so forth. You know, a long time ago, a good friend of mine, uh, well, of us, my wife and I, is a quadriplegic. He was in a hockey accident many years ago. And I remember sharing with him a, a story that we had used him as an example. And, you know, some kids complaining about how hard hockey was or how hard life was. And and we said, you know, uh, we said, no, playing hockey isn't hard. You know, being a quadriplegic, that's hard. Now, I shared that story with our friend who's a quadriplegic, Aaron Moser is his name. And I said to Aaron, I said, so we use this example about kids complaining about how hard it is to play hockey. And that's not hard. Being a quadriplegic is hard. And he laughed and he went, no, being a quadriplegic isn't hard. Being a quadriplegic on a ventilator. Now that's hard. So it's always <laughs> yes. about perspective, right? And you yes. realize that yes. he had this attitude where he knew a, a quadriplegic on a ventilator. And there's all these stories. So the reason I share that is because for you, as you came to Canada from a refugee camp, as you look back on your history, did you kind of, were you able to create a perspective going, this isn't hard. You know, I have clean water. I have a home over my head. Being in a refugee camp, now that's hard. Did, like, does that how that maybe sometimes showed up for you? 100%. Like, 100%, you know, I mean, I'm so thankful. Like everything starts with gratitude, Patrick. Everything starts with gratitude. Like, and that's, if there is one thing I could tell anybody is like, you know, you have to always be thankful of where you are right now, because sometimes all we need is just perspective. We think we don't have a lot, yet we have so much more than so many other people in this world. Like I told you, I don't know if I even, I mentioned this um, story before where there were nights in the camp where we had only bread dipped in tea for dinner. Yet I was eating and I was so happy thinking I'm so lucky that I've got the bread because there were other families in the camp that maybe didn't have that. So can you imagine it's all about perspective, Patrick? It truly is all about, you know, being thankful for what you have and, 
And no matter how hard we have it, someone else, like we work hard here, but there were people that work all day, all night, and they still don't make maybe, you know, half of what we make. I heard one time that more than half of the world live on less than $2 a day. Right. On less than $2. Yet, how many people go to Starbucks and spend like five, seven, nine dollars on a cup of coffee? So again, it's all about perspective. Thank you for bringing this point up. Now, when I look at, you know, your journey, I mean, gosh, you're a mother, you're a self-made millionaire, a real estate investor, a developer, a speaker, an author, a coach. I mean, you're just all of, you're doing so much and you've accomplished so much. All of that so far in this conversation, you know, we haven't talked about making money. That's, that's kind of, that's a result to me is what I'm seeing. And I, and I've always noticed with you, or I, I believe I've seen with you is that it's a result of who you're being money just shows up but i'm and i and i don't that doesn't minimize how hard you work i i'm not minimizing i'm actually saying you work very hard but it isn't being driven by money and that's my impression of it but is that true is what is it really for you 100% 100% it was never ever driven by money in fact even when i went through the divorce and i shared with you that i didn't know if i could afford the $1000 for rent let alone you know have a house all the angels that came into my life happened to be men. The, the a TD bank manager here in, in Cambridge uh, saw me and he says, Tahani, you could own a house and I can help you with that. And it was scary to own a house, but I took a huge risk. Think about the risk that I've taken, Patrick, is that I didn't know if I could actually rent a house for $1,000, let alone you know owning a house. And I did own a house. And I remember the first day, picking up the keys and going to open my home and going inside. I didn't have anything inside the house. And I sat on the floor crying, crying my eyes out and having a pity party by myself, thinking, why me? Why does it have to be so hard? Why this is happening? Then I had to snap out of it and remember what my parents instilled in me as a little girl. And that is no matter how bad we have it, someone else have it worse. And that's what put the drive within me to go out and make it happen. Four years later, what would take any family in Canada, 25 years, maybe 30, maybe even 35 years to pay off a mortgage, I paid it in less than four years. Not only that, I had other real estate investment properties. When I started working and helping others, I didn't say I want to become a millionaire or pay off my mortgage or have other investment properties. All I wanted is to just make things, you know, make ends meet for my kids to have a roof on top of their head. But also I went sincerely telling people, let me help you. And the more I put that out and the more people saw me and, and felt my energy, the more that came back to me. And the more I helped people, the more I got helped. Uh, and that's how all along I built my business, sincerely thinking of the others, not just only a number sign or like, you know, being, a, I, I, never, I never even thought being a millionaire is even possible or paying for anything is possible. You know, just thinking about every day going out and doing the little things every day that will make a huge difference later on once you look at your life. When you're going through that time, Tahani, your, <clears throat> your family's still back in Jordan or, or where, where's your family in this? So are you going they through this? They were still here in Canada. Oh, they were yeah, in here they in were Canada. still here in Canada, yes. And um, 
Yeah, at the time, my mom did not want to speak to me because she thought I was shaming the family of how could I, you know, go through a divorce. It was a hard time, you know, but again, I knew in my heart that I wasn't doing anything wrong. All I was doing is just only looking after my kids. And I knew that one day everybody will see what's the intention. You see, that's the thing also with any of the real estate investors. It's not about a short-term gain. It's really about the long-term gain. If you really do well, one day someone will know that you were so good, you were so um, giving, you were so honest. They might not like what you did at the time, but in the long run, they will see that. But also if they do bad to other investors, then people will wake up one day and they go, oh my gosh, that person cheated me or that person did not do me well. So think of your life as a long, you know, think of it as not just only one event, but you're building on all these events. So my mom turned around and, um, and supporting me right now, but she did, she was worried about what others, you know, think of the family and think of me and all of that. It all came from fear for her at the, at the time. So through that time, I mean, you're, you're obviously, I don't want to say obviously, but I'm considering that you must have been, you're learning so much. You're learning a lot about yourself. You're learning about uh, how you face adversity. You're learning about the decisions that you're making. You're, you're watching or observing what others are doing or not doing. In all of that, how are your children? How are you looking after your children? Have you got a strong community around you? Because I, I've, Matt and I have spoke with many women who leave relationships and then they're very alone and then they're, they don't seem friends go away or they're not supported well by others. So they feel very, very alone. Was that the case for you? Um, not that like I felt, um, the one thing that I did, and again, I don't know how that came about is that I wanted my kids to be involved in what I did because Kids are very curious. They know by seeing, not by, by what you say, it's by what you um, show them. So uh, I remember it was so hard, but I got them involved in sports because I believed sports are very good for team, you know, um, building a team for many reasons, which we're not going to get into, but I got them to go into sports. Both of them were, they were pulling two sports. So that was good. And I had a lot of help from the other parents. So they knew um, that if I couldn't make it, that I would be able to call on somebody. And I, again, I approached them and I said, would I be able to do that? And they said, yes. And then they would take them to the sports, they bring them back. And I made sure that they were so happy in their own world. Even talking about it right now, both of my kids, they say, mommy, we did not actually realize how hard it was, you know, then. I, it, it almost like felt like it was so happy for them because I, I made them paint the room whatever colors they want and they were so happy. Like my daughter, she painted one wall orange, one wall pink, one wall, you know, like she was happy about these things. They were in sports. Like I was um, making sure that they're happy in their own world but they were also watching me and I would take them to even meetings when I had a meeting and I needed a babysitter instead of like thinking, Oh, I need a babysitter. I'm like, no, come with me. And I would sit Ramsey or Soraya. And I would say, I want you to sit in the meeting. Your one job is to sit and then, you know, feel what is the person across from mommy is like, do you feel good? Are they, you know, just because they're like kids, they don't know what they're doing. And I did not know that integrating that and having them to see what I was doing 
um, and you know, having them being part of it was a very helpful thing. Involving them in sports and having the other parents again part of it was very good too. So there was a lot of these things. I, naturally, it wasn't like I just planned to do it again. Just being a doer, naturally, I did, and it, it was the best thing that I've ever done. So. We come to where we are today, Tani, and you've accomplished all those things. So I want to go, I don't want to step over one thing. You know, it reminds me of the story that you said that when you were in the refugee camp with your parents, it was still a pretty happy time for you. I mean, gosh, you're with your parents. So here you are, you know, this many years later, you're with your children, you're through a divorce, but at the end of the day, you saw them as pretty happy and they reflect back on that and they go, mama, we're pretty happy. But part of that was because of how much time that you spent with them. And yes. it's so interesting that parents are often given what's going on in the world today, social media and the pressures and the peer pressures is so much time is spent buying things, giving things, right this, right that. And I'm not saying, I'm not making any of that wrong. It's only to always get grounded back. The children by their nature just want to be loved and want to hang out with their parents. Yes. So true. I mean, even when they graduated from university, Patrick, I did not give them a present. I said, it's got to be an experience. Experiences, creating experiences for the kids and the family is very, very important because it's not the things that last. Because even if you give them anything, it's not going to last forever, but an experience will always be in their heads forever and ever. So even with their graduation day, it was, where do you want to go in the world? You pick in the whole world, where do you want to go? You know how ecstatic they were? I'm sure they would have liked, you know, to have something, but that was a good experience for them. And even before that, if I go back, it wasn't like I didn't afford to take them anywhere in the world. But before that, we were in the car and I would take them to parks or I would drive, you know, a distance to take them somewhere. So there is no excuse of what you can or cannot do with the kids. You, at the end of the day, you have to spend the time and, 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 and connect on a deeper level. How did you get to where you are today in the work you're doing with women? Because that has become, I think, my impression of it is, Tahani, is that it's become such a passion for you and such a, I don't even know what to call it, but it it drives you. You get up in the morning and you're thinking, how can I empower women? There was a quote, you know, that gets tossed around, kind of making, it's not, it's, it's a little bit humorous, but it's really not funny. And that is, you know, your husband is not a financial plan. And and I know that I love that. And I know that you probably are working with women who have gone through what they've gone through. And, you know, their husband is, you know, or was always the financial plan. And for whatever reason, the realization one day is no, he's not. So where does your passion, where did that come from for you around supporting other women in being independent, in growing their own investment portfolio, in in and you're using real estate primarily as a vehicle, but where did that all stem from, Tani? I think in few things. It's not like all of a sudden it's just one thing and it's epiphany. I think it's uh, um, life as a general, few things happen and then all of a sudden you go, okay, this is the path that I meant to go on. And one of them is that um, I had two of my brothers and my ex-husband have massive heart attacks almost two years ago all within like, not even like weeks, where it was almost going into a spiritual journey of like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. My brothers are like, you know, in their early forties and 
how could, like, we are here today, but we could go like that or leave this world like so fast. And if that's the case, then it got me on a path of like, what do I want to leave the world with? Like, if I were to die today, if something would happen to me today, what is it that I know that I could leave right now that could make a huge difference? Then what happened is that I was trying to write a book and I was trying to write a book for a while to the point actually where I even left that book alone because I said, I, if, it's, if it's like, if it takes that much effort, I don't know if it's meant to come out in this world right now. And thank God I didn't do it then. But one of the things I was searching and I realized that there was a stats that I was you know, searching stats and one of the stats says that 85% of um, senior citizens retire at a poverty line or even lower. Actually, yeah, most senior citizens that retire at a poverty line or lower, 85% of them are women. And I'm like sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, this is like, that really hit me, you know? And I thought, and I thought about it and I thought, all when I looked at my business, 89% of the business come come from men that come to me that want to do something for their family. And I'm like, how come the women are not there? And then plus the stats, plus what happened to my brothers, all of that together. And I thought, now I know what is my calling from now on. It's per se, like the why, you know, that right now is going to drive me. And that is, if I know I could help women do not necessarily what I've done, but at least help them with all the education that I've acquired and give that forward to them, then I know that my life was worth living. And that's what set me on fire to start the FIRE brand, which is the females in real estate. And um, I'm so excited. It's, it's not, again, this is not about the money because in, if anything, it's actually costing me money to put on the first fire conference in Toronto. So I'm putting on the first fire conference in Toronto, November 24th. And to me, even though it's costing me money, but it is a way of me telling other women to bring awareness to other females that they too can do this. Even if they have the best husband, the best marriage, they can add value to them, to their family, to their kids to herself also for retirement later on and 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 bring something to the table. That's amazing. And I'm very, very excited for you, Tani. I think that that certainly in all the years that I've known you and the brief conversations we have in passing and all of the things that go on, there's always been that core there. And I don't know, I, I don't hear it as, you know, I am a woman, hear me roar. You know, I don't see as you, you know, making or minimizing men or being a victim to men. I just see that you're really fired up about empowering women that don't necessarily believe that they can do it, that they can do it on their own and take it on. Would that be the case for you? 100%. I mean, people said I'm crazy. If, if men are coming to me and if I'm going right and on the right, all men are coming to me, why am I going to go turn left and then go help all these women, you know? So business-wise, it doesn't make sense. But I'm not doing this as a business. I'm doing this truly as a give back to empower women. I don't know what, what will happen tomorrow or next year or the year after. But at this point, I know that I've got to get up there and then gift forward, you know, all the knowledge that are required to these women to make them aware that they too can do this. I mean, <laughs> if a 15 year old girl can do that, for, that was born in a refugee camp, any woman here has no excuse to say not to. So 
I mean, you're still a young woman. You're still a young lady. And what is the future for you? You're empowering women. You're building your development business. But how do you see going forward now? I mean, you've you've created a lot of financial success. What's your plan for the future as you go into the back half of your life? I mean, what does it look like for you? Do you have a plan that way? Or do you just show up that says... I'm always just checking in to be present, to be happy, to be on purpose. Yes, of course. Um, it's that. I know one thing is that I will not stop investing in real estate or, you know, um, saying that even when I'm 80 and 90, it's still real estate <laughs> would be part of my life. Uh, but definitely, I'm thinking that as soon as I approach my 60s, that I want to slow down in terms of building the businesses and have them kind of you know, go on their own, so to speak, um, but continue the real estate investing and what got me to where I am right now and continue to pay forward all the knowledge that I've acquired for others. Are your kids involved in the business today, Tahani, or what are they doing? Um, no, not. Uh, both of them are not, but I'll tell you something. My son, Ramsey, just got an investment property last year and he's cash flowing. Actually, he got really lucky because this is not normal. And I told him it's not normal. He's cash flowing almost 2,500 every month after all expenses. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this light went into his head. I'm like, mommy, this is amazing. I can't believe it. This is why people like you. This is why you know people are going crazy. I said, yes, Ramsey. That, again, people can live in their head all day, all night, year after year, but not until they go out and take action, not until they see what this is all about, what real estate is all about. And and we talked about this even at the event, at the RAIN event, that taking action is so, so important. So even for my own son, you know, when he took action himself and he did what he wanted on his own, not because of mommy wanted him to, but because he wanted to, now he's again on fire. He's like, I, I, last night he called me and is like, I just talked to someone and potentially we're going to do a joint venture, you know, mommy together. And I'm like, okay, good. So he's really into this. And my daughter, uh, speaking of kids and raising kids, and my daughter went through a little hard, hard time because all she wanted is the brand names, the Louis Vuittons and this and that. And, and she got herself into debt. And I helped her the first time. I helped her the, the second time. The third time I said, you're on your own. I'm not going to save you or help you. And she had to work really hard to pay off her debt. And she sold all of those purses because I told her she has to sell them. She sold them all on Kijiji. She got the money, she paid off her debt. And then now she's actually saved enough money to buy her first investment. And I'm so proud of her because now she saw how happy her brother is. She's like, I want to do the same mommy, please find me the same thing, you know? So, yeah. So those are, you know, the, it's interesting. The, the lesson learned there by your daughter is uh, only as much as you've learned as the mother, right? Because <laughs> we, of course. As, you know, we learn also that, it, you know, probably, you know, it took us a cup, it took you in this case. And, and I've had similar experience where, it, you know, we have to learn as parents too, that the best thing we can do is let our kids fall down and have to pick themselves up. Not unlike you yourself did when you were 15 years old, you know, you were, you were down and out and there was nobody there to pick you up. But I mean, you were maybe, uh, you know, your circumstances were different and you maybe had less control over them for sure. But here you were, you know, and you had to pick yourself up. There was nobody to do that. And that also is the lesson that we learned that it is through that adversity that we've become the people we need to be to face it and to move beyond it. 
See, there's a lot of people sometimes they say, but, you know, I was not really born in a refugee camp, so I don't know if I can actually relate to the story. But here's what I would say. There are things that are happen to us that are um, without our control, and there are things that happen to us that are within our control. Because, like, with my daughter, it's actually within her control that she put herself in that situation. And it was also within her control to do whatever she chooses to do about that situation. Yes, there are the certain things that are out of our control. Like, for example, maybe an unexpected, you know, um, illness. But if you look back to the core of that, it's maybe it's an awakening so that you can take care of yourself and the way that you eat and, and your health. And so look at it as a gift. So whatever we go through as um, as a human being and whatever the listeners are going through, everything that's happened to you right now, whether it's life pressure, there's so much life pressures right now. It doesn't have to be an adversity. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be about resilience. It could be just everyday thing, life pressures, you know, like the work and so many people go to work so that they can provide for their kids. Yet they forget about their kids. They forget why they're doing that thing, you know, in the first place is really to give their kids, you know, experiences and they do, they do things for them. So there is a gift in every challenge that we face in this life. And, and, and I hope to God and I pray to God that all the listeners here understand that everything has happened to you is truly a gift. If you can switch the perspective and look at it as a gift rather than, again, poor me, why me and all of that. Yeah, that victim mentality, certainly uh, you've seen it. I've seen it as a coach is really hard to sometimes shift people. <clears throat> you know, I had a, I'll share a quick story because I think there's some value in it. This was many years ago in Alberta, very, very busy time in Alberta and every, you know, lineups everywhere. And I happened to be in at Tim Hortons. And at the time I was on a project that had incredible amounts of challenges, millions of dollars involved. And I was really one of the three four people leading that charge. And I was really feeling the stress and the pressure. And as I stood in a lineup at a Tim Hortons, it was short-staffed, which was really common in, Al in Alberta. There was an obvious sur supervisor at that Tim Hortons, and she happened to be running the show and she's running around and, and I could see the stress and the pressure that she was feeling. And I thought to myself in that moment, I went, there's this individual at Tim Hortons making whatever she's making, 10, 12, 15, $20 an hour. I don't know what they pay at Tim Hortons, probably not that much, but she was feeling every bit as much pressure as I was as somebody who serves coffee behind a counter as I was as somebody who's leading the charge and facing the challenges of a multi-million dollar project. And it was, once again, it's the perspective and what we learn to deal with and, and how we look at it. So when I'm you know, and when I'm looking and listening to you talk about refugee camp and somebody says, well, I don't really relate to it because I've never been in a refugee camp. It isn't really about the degree. It's how we are in the conversation we're having in our head around that. And I think, you know, in this conversation, Tahani, is that that's what I see about you is your ability to switch over to a different view of the world, a different view of what's going on. And is that the work that you would be doing often with the women you're working with now? Is that kind of some yes, of the intention behind yes. it? You got it. Yes, exactly. It's really about having them to see something that they've never saw before. It's really about changing their perspective because 
most people, they go, oh, you know, I can't do this because I've got the kids and I have to go to work and it's hard and, and I don't know if I can do this. Or maybe the men, you know, like it's, I've got so much pressure. I have to provide for my wife and my kids. And, and yes, it is. But if you um, think about what you're doing right now and you think about it in a short, a short you know, um, term or like in like maybe six months until you get your first investment or one year until you get your first investment, the long term, it will pay off for it. So sometimes we have to sacrifice a little more for just a little, like for a short time. And then we can see the fruit later on, but we have to do something different because what do they say? The insanity of um, doing the same uh, thing and expecting a different result. Yeah. You have to change direction. You have to do something different. Otherwise you're going to have the same results. Another thing too is we all have hard moments and I, people, they think my life is perfect. Perfect. My life is not even close to perfect. I still have like not even probably four weeks ago. I actually sat and I cried because I felt some overwhelm of all the things that I had to do. But the most important thing is that to feel the feeling and snap out of it fast. And, and the more you deal with challenges and adversity, the faster you can snap out of it. Because at the end of the day, you go, okay, okay, okay. I know there is a lot that's happening, but what's important and what I need to focus on right now. So how fast can you get out of that? And what can you focus on that would make a difference right now? And, and things will still continue that we worry, like worry, people worry. I worry, you worry, but worry is not going to get us anywhere. What's going to get us somewhere is finding a solution to what that is. And worry is really fear, fear of something, not doing something or doing something. So always kind of um, look at your life and say, what are the things that I worry about? and How can I tackle them in a way that actually would, you know, get rid of them or really look at them that, you know, I worry about maybe not having a big house or, you know, having buy, buying a, a big property or do you really need that big property? Maybe you just need to downsize and not worry about that and, and live life from a place of contentment, a place of, you know, a, a place of contentment and a place of like, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, not worry about everything else. I don't know if I, ba- I babbled a lot about this point, but I hope I really got through what I wanted to say. Well, I think it speaks to a couple things, Tahani. And for me, what showed up in that is, yes, getting out into the future about worrying about future things and you saying shifted and the overwhelm. And I mean, certainly one of the best tools to do that is just be present to what's really going on today, you know, let alone a week, 10 days or a year from now, which is sometimes where people can go with their fears. But there was something that you said that kind of triggered me. And that is, is that even in this conversation, we talk about the degree of success you've had, you know, certainly you faced some adversity and you've accomplished and done a lot of things. And so on the surface, when people look at Tahani, they go, wow, she's amazing. But I think to that point is what you just said is that your life sucks shit sometimes too. Like it blows up. You got your challenges, you face your fears and You've probably made some mistakes along the way. Yes. You've yes. had some financial hits and some financial pressures. And yes. and it isn't, and I think that's such an important message is yes. to remind people that it, it sometimes it's just crap. And it's all, you know, a good friend of mine uh, who's very accomplished, he just looked at me one day and 
was feeling the pressure that he was feeling. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Patrick, it's just all so fragile, isn't it? And isn't that the truth? You know, there is. is there is a place where in spite of all the success and, you know, financial success, guess what? It can all go away in a heartbeat. You know, things can happen. Things can change. And as much as we risk mitigate as entrepreneurs, we don't have control over government changes and minimum wages being hiked and taxes exactly. shifting, you know, and we have to try and deal with it. And it does get very fragile and what we can stay grounded in. And this is was such a good reminder from you today, Tahani, and that is, you know, if you can be happy in a refugee camp, we as Canadians living in a country that we bitch about because of whatever government might be in place at the time is still a pretty cool place, right? Yes, it's very cool and it's amazing and it's happy and it's what we choose. It's not where we're at. It's not the things. It's where we choose to be, you know? So that's what happiness is. Now, I know that you're pushed for time. So I want to honor the time that you've given me and I know you're on to another appointment and, um, But once again, I could go on quite a lot longer with you because there's so many things that I didn't even get to. Maybe we'll do a part two. You never know. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> I would love a part two. Yes, of course. Yes. So uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, I always like to do some round. You know, as we you know as we as we kind of wind down, I just do a quick rapid fire. Go so, ahead. So oh, gonna, rapid fire that okay. goes with the theme fire. So, yes. so I'm going to 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 hit you with that, Tani. Yes. Okay. So do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> or, well, I don't know if that's a quote, but sure. I mean, of course it I, is. it's like Perfect. a Nike thing, you know, but um, it's Marianne's uh, uh, Williamson quote. And that is, you know, what we fear is really that we are more capable than we think we are really. I don't know exact word by word, but you know, yes, it's most people um, are afraid of their success rather than their failures. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? Oh gosh, that is so nice. Here is a spa and you can have as much as you want, massages and spa stuff and, and candles <laughs> and all of that. Yes. Heaven's amazing spa. <laughs> there we go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> go get a pedicure. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> yes. What are you just really not very good at? The technical stuff. I'm so bad at even like, you know, putting the Zoom on and all of that stuff. I'm really bad at technical stuff. Not really good at that. What's the most, what is it? What's a book that you felt was impactful or that perhaps that you gift it because it's been so impactful for you? Is there one that stands out? I I guess the giant within Tony Robbins at the beginning, because that for me sort of opened something up at the beginning of my journey. There's a lot of books that I absolutely love. I know that's that's a tough question, right? I, I, you know, I've got here, my library, it's so huge. I've got so many, I'm going to start actually giving away most of those books because I've got so many books, but I would, I, I don't know why that came in within because there is, yeah, we are like, once you go after, you know, what you truly, your heart desires. They always say, you know, your why, your why. And, and I always say, don't worry about the why. Just, it's all about energy. What, what gives you energy and what depletes your energy. And that will, that will show you what the why is and, and show what very energetic and very passionate about what you do. That's what will get you to where you want to go. 
I love that. Room, desk, or your car? What do you clean first? Room, desk, or my car? I would say rooms. I, you know, yeah, room. Even though I spend a lot of time <laughs> with my car, but... Do you have a favorite tune? Um, I love all kinds of music. I love all kinds of music, yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite movie? Yes. There was a movie called Lucy. And a lot of people, they thought it was weird and didn't understand it. For me, it hit home. And how it was about this Lucy lady. And she took this drug that would make her so smart, so smart, so smart. But at the end of her life, it all became knowledge and it became an, an SUP. And then she gave it to someone else to pass it forward. And that's what I feel my life represented is that no matter what it is in life that I acquire at the end of the day, it's what I pass on and what I give, you know, for I gift forward that will matter. I saw that movie. It was a very good movie. Uh, oh, I, there go. I don't remember what I took away from it other than it was a great movie. But as you were sharing with us, what, you took away from it. I went, yeah, that's yeah. perfect. I think yes. I'm going to have to watch that movie again now. Yes, well because done. it's all about knowledge and passing the knowledge on. What are you grateful for? Everything in my life. I'm grateful for, first of all, my body, you know, for my hands, for my arms, for everything, you know, for me being able to see, to be able to talk, for all the opportunities here in Canada, for my kids. I could go on and on with my gratitude journey, the little things. And again, I will emphasize this again. It's about the little things, this little cup of coffee. This actually is a beautiful cup because it came to me from a friend of mine who's from Colombia that gave me this coffee for everything. I'm very grateful for this time together that we spend like i mean how amazing it is that i get to spend a full hour with you patrick grateful for everything gosh you know tahani we haven't had an opportunity to catch up for quite some time i keep inviting you to vancouver but you, you keep yeah, refusing my invitation i'm teasing i am so grateful to know you and to uh, be able to reach out and have a connection with you and I'm so grateful that you were on the show today. It took the time to share with us your journey and the lessons you've learned. And I'm grateful for all the things that I have in my life as well. I'm a, a grandparent now, which is really, really cool as Stephanie and this I get to enjoy cool. being grandpa and grandma. And that's always fun. So I, I just I have a lot of gratitude for all those things that are going on. So Tahani, thank you so much for your time. And I was so glad we could do this. And yes, we may have to do a part two because I know that your story is only just getting started. Thanks, Tom. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.